You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Good morning, family. Grab a seat. We are starting a new series on the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing at all. We can do nothing at all. The Christian life is absolutely impossible without the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are like sailboats without wind. We are like gloves with no hands in them. But with the Holy Spirit, we have the wind in our sails. We have that empowering presence of the hand of God. We have movement and life and power to live the Christian life when God puts his spirit in us to regenerate us spiritually, to transform us morally, and to renew us into the image of Christ. And really the presence of the spirit of God with us is just more proof of God's radical pursuit of rebels and sinners. God has given us his commands and we failed to keep them but yet we were distant and separated from God. God didn't leave us in that separation. The Father sent the Son. The Son willingly died for us on the cross. Then he defeated death. He left the tomb. He ascended into heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Not just to tell us what to do, but actually to empower us to do it. God and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit together working in us, Christianity is a very different type of faith where God doesn't actually just say jump and we say how high. He actually puts the Spirit in us to empower us and live in us, though we are broken people. You know, there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit, I think, these days. Uh, he is the third person of the Trinity. If you look throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. The Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Ghost, and he's symbolized by a dove. Now, he's not actually a dove, but the symbol for the Holy Spirit is a dove. And we get that from Matthew 3 at Jesus' baptism. If you can put that next scripture up. When, uh, go back, oh, you got it, you got it. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heaven suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like what? A dove. And coming down on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Uh, the Spirit of God is symbolized by a dove, and he's the third person of the Trinity, God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are not different manifestations. It's often taught that the Holy Spirit is just a manifestation of one God, but rather it is three persons, one God. Just like if I got my family up here, it would be five persons, one family. And we see the different, the different persons of God all in the baptism of Jesus. We see Jesus the Spirit of God and the voice from heaven, which is the Father, right up Jesus' baptism. Three different persons, not different manifestations. And the Holy Spirit is given to us, not earned. 
Some people say we have to be good enough to get the Holy Spirit, but the reality is we cannot be good unless we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And in Galatians 3, what Paul says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law? In other words, by obedience or by believing what you heard? The Holy Spirit is a gift that is given to all Christians by faith when we trust in Christ. And the goal of the Spirit is to empower us to live the Christian life that God might use us to spread the good news, to advance his kingdom in this world. And he does that through two main ways. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit produces spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. That means each Christian has something in them that they're good at, that they can use to serve the rest of the body of Christ. Now, you might not believe that you're good at something, but you have to be because the Holy Spirit of God has placed a gift in you. Maybe it's serving, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's helping, but there is something in you that you're good at that comes from the Spirit of God, and that is a spiritual gift. But the Holy Spirit also in each one of us produces spiritual fruit. That is to say, in every one of us, the Holy Spirit is active in growing the character of Jesus. So that you think you're so far from the character of Jesus and there's no hope, but there is hope because God himself is living inside you by his spirit, changing you, transforming you, making you more like Jesus. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Now, some of you, I just read that, and you saw that as a list of things to check off for self-improvement. That's not what this is. You cannot produce these things in yourself. They are fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit of God. So when you read this list, the answer isn't to go, I need to be more joyful. I need to be more patient. I need to be more good. You've missed it. These things you cannot produce in yourself. They are a fruit that comes from God's presence in us. And when we look at these things as virtues, as merely virtues, we just go, well, I'm kind of good at joy, but not so good at peace. I'm kind of good at patience, but I'm not so good at gentleness. And what the Spirit is doing is producing all of them in you. That's why it's called fruit, not fruits. In other words, this comes as a package. This is a recipe for the character of Jesus. And the Spirit is working all these things in you. Now, you might naturally have a disposition to be gentle, uh, but that comes with other things that the Spirit is doing. And when you leave one of those things out, you don't get the recipe of the character of Jesus. Yesterday, my kids made some cupcakes. And once they had made them and put them in the oven, my oldest said, oops. I said, what? And she said, I forgot to put in brown sugar. And there was nothing we could do at that point. We pulled the cupcakes out when they were done, and I had a bite. And with that one ingredient, they they were just awful. They were awful cupcakes. And it's the same thing, I think, with the fruit of the Spirit. You take one of these things out, and all of a sudden, you're missing something that's very important. 
And all these things are held together because they're part of the character of Jesus. So you can't have the patience of Jesus without also the kindness of Jesus. Because Jesus was so kind with his disciples and patient with them when they were slow to learn. You have to have patience with kindness. You can't have the goodness of Jesus without the faithfulness of Jesus because you won't have an opportunity to show someone goodness unless you're faithfully present in their life. And so you can't have the goodness of Jesus without the faithfulness of Jesus. And you can't have the joy of Jesus without the peace that Jesus brings through his death on the cross. You can't have a relationship of joy with God unless you've had peace with God through what Jesus has done for you on the cross. So these things come together. It's the character of Jesus that's being built in you. But the first one, and we could say the one that all the other fruit hangs on, is love. Love. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit, and that's where we're going to start off our series today. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 that really talks about the presence of the Holy Spirit and his work of love in us, and I want you to even see this as our prayer as I read this scripture. Ephesians 3, Paul writes, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The word of God. Amen. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. All of God's laws can be summed up as love God and love your neighbor. Paul writes about faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love, because God is love. And God wants to distribute his love to the world through you. God wants to distribute his love to the world through you, but in order to do that, he wants to first solidify his love in you. God first wants to solidify his love in you. That is to say, in the deepest part of who you are, God wants you to be certain that he loves you. God wants to, in your inner being, in the deepest part of who you are, he wants you to know that you are loved by him. Look at what Paul says in 16 and 17. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Inner being and heart. We are so often focused not on the inside but on outward changes and outward appearances. We gotta change our resume, we have to transform our body, 
We have to renovate our finances, and our focus is often on things that are exterior, and we're often terrified to look inward. We're terrified to look deep at what's inside of us because of our stories, because of our fear, because of our shame of what we'll find if we actually look inward. And so just like Adam and Eve, we, we spend this time wearing fig leaves. We change things on the outside, afraid to really examine what's on the inside because we're afraid of fear and we're afraid of shame. But Paul says that God wants to go into that deepest part of who you are and bring his strength and his power in the deepest part of who you are, into your deepest fears, into your deepest places of shame. God wants to show up, and rather than shaming you, he wants to strengthen you and release his power by the presence of his spirit in you. That is to say, Jesus has moved into your heart, and he's not going anywhere no matter what he digs up. That's comforting news and that's good news. What that means is we don't have to fear fear and we don't have to fear shame because we have the power and strength of the Lord, the strength and power of the Lord in our stories and in the deepest part of who we are. And what that means is you and I can have a confidence that no matter what pops up in our hearts, we are loved. Look how confident God wants you to be. Go to 18 and 19 for me. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's and to know Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. First of all, God wants you to be rooted in his love. What is the deepest part of a tree? It is its roots. And that is to say, in the deepest part of who you are, God wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to be rooted and established in love. He wants you to have a foundation in love. That word established means like the bottom layer of a home. What's below the foundation? Nothing. The foundation is the most critical part, and God wants you to know, and the deepest part of who you are, that he loves you, that he cares about you. He's committed to you, and there's nothing deeper that can be on earth that will turn his love off for you. God does not want to ha you to have any questions on whether he loves you or not, because he's trying to fill you with his love so that he can distribute his love through you which is so different than the way love works in the world. You're dating, what happens? Games, right? Games with love. You don't want to let someone know right away that you love them because in order to get their love back, you have to keep them on the string. Let's be honest, that's a little bit how it works, doesn't it? And if you go all in from the beginning, you're afraid that you will scare them off. And yet here's God. He's all in. He doesn't play any games. He just says, I love you. 
and you can't turn it off. You can't, I cannot waver in my commitment to, to love you. I'm here, and I don't want you to have any questions or any doubts in your mind that I love you. And the reason is, is because God's love is so different than the love that we're used to. It's, it's not a romantic love, per se. Romantic love is based on something in the other person. So I love you based on something in you. Where God's love is an agape love. Agape love isn't based on the other person, it's based on the person giving the love. It is a self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And so God doesn't love you because of something in you, God loves you because of something in him that he's committed to give away to you. Very different than romantic love. And God promises that his agape love will come. His self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And only God has the capacity to love based on something in him, right? We always fall in love based on something in the other person. And yet God's love is based on his character. And he wants you to be certain that you have his love. Bruce Springsteen had a broken relationship with his father, and the boss said that he would tell his father, I love you, pops. And his father, at best, would say, uh, me too. He couldn't just say the words back to Bruce Springsteen. And even though he said, me too, like, I love you too, he couldn't just say, I love you, which leaves that little space for doubt. Does he truly love me? God wants you to have no doubts that he cares about you, that he loves you. He wants you to be rooted and firmly established in love and comprehend the greatness of his love for you and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've turned away from your sins, there is, should be no doubt in your mind that God loves you. He sees your story. He sees your fears. He sees your mistakes, he sees your shame, and he loves you. He loves you. And there's nothing that you can do or expose or find in your own life that will turn his love off for you because it's not based on something in you, it's based on something in him. So I want to ask you, do you know for a fact that God loves you? Would you, would you stake your life on it? Because Jesus gave his life for you so that you would know the love of God. See, many of us say, yes, God loves us, but we live our lives as if God just tolerates us. Tolerance was a cultural virtue about 15 years ago, but no one's talking about it anymore. No one's using that word tolerance, and the reason is, is we found in our country that our differences really are intolerable. We can't tolerate each other. But the deeper thing is that no one really wants to be tolerated. No one wants to hear those magical words from your spouse, I tolerate you. No, everyone wants to hear, I love you. I'm committed to this. I'm in. I love you conditionally and without reservation, and that is the way that God loves. God does not tolerate. God loves. God gives his love, not in some ambiguous way, but through his son, Jesus. 
through Jesus Christ, who was sent to die on the cross, who took your place, who was substituted for you. Do you see that love? Over the weekend, we decided to watch um, one of these older movies of, you know, the, the death of Jesus. We didn't show our kids the passion because that one's just too intense, but we found another one that would show them just enough so that they would get what really happened because, you know, when you're young, you understand Jesus died on the cross, but you don't quite comprehend the nails in his hands, and you don't quite comprehend the mocking and the insults and the pain and the spears, and then when Christ lowers his head. And so we decided to show our children a video representation of this that we found on Amazon, and we told them, listen, this is going to be intense, and so you can close your eyes anytime that you want to. And we thought that they were mature enough for it, and so we showed it to them, and it was hard for them to watch. And for about a couple hours afterwards, one of my kids was just quiet. Just quiet. And I had to just kind of let her be for a little bit. And then we got into a conversation about it. And I said, what's going on? And as we talked, I realized that for the first time, she saw the love. It wasn't this ambiguous thing, the love of God. She saw what Jesus went through for her. And I remember the first time that I comprehended that. It was actually at a Good Friday service when I was just a little boy. And I remember coming home and I couldn't stop saying to myself, Jesus died for me. And the love of God began to shape the way I thought about Jesus, the way I thought about God, and the way I thought about myself. God wants us to see the cross and know that we're loved. All throughout Scripture, God repeats this over and over and over so that we can get it through our thick skulls that God doesn't just tolerate us. God loves us, and that's why he sent his son for us. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, Galatians 5. God wants to distribute the love of Christ through you, but first he wants to solidify the love of Christ in you. He wants you to know that you know that you know that you are loved by him. Despite all your flaws, despite all the things in your life that you wish were not there, despite the sins that you fight but you just cannot seem to get past, God wants you to know that you're loved. 
And in that space is actually where the power of God begins to work in your life. And you begin to understand the greatness of his love. And even though you're flawed, you realize that he loves you not because of you, but because of him. And as you're filled with that love, it spills out over into the world. And what comes out of you as you're filled with love is love for God and love for others. See, it's not enough for me just to tell you, hey, church, be loving. Do it. Come on, do it. Be loving. Be like Jesus. Just go do it. You'll burn out. You'll burn out. You first need to receive Jesus' love and let his love solidify in you. And as you continually going to the cross and receiving the love of God, it will fill you up and spill over. And love will pour out of you into a broken world. See, the change doesn't happen from the outside in. It happens from the spirit working inside us outwardly. In 1927, there was this famous film called King of Kings. It's almost 100 years ago. This film was about Jesus. And the director hired this actor named H.B. Warner. And in the film, he was to play Jesus Christ. That's a big role. But the director wanted to make sure that he didn't only act like Jesus in the film, but that he acted like Jesus outside of the film. You know, if you're going to play Jesus, then you better act like Jesus whether you're in the film or not. And so the director made all these rules for H.B. Warner. He had to eat alone. When he rode to the movie set, he had to ride alone with curtains in the car to kind of be separated from other people. He had all these rules and regulations about not playing cards, and he couldn't go to ball games, and he couldn't go swimming. Now, none of those things are actually what it means to be a Christian, but the director thought that if he just made these regulations on the outside, it would change who Warner was on the inside. But the problem was there was no power and there was no love. And so what happened with Warner in the middle of filming was he actually cracked and he relapsed into his alcoholism. Because change doesn't happen from the outside in. It doesn't happen from rules and regulations being forced outside inward. It happens from the presence of the Holy Spirit in your inner being. From the presence of Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, convincing you that you are loved. In order to love like Jesus, you need to know that you are loved by Jesus. To live like Jesus in the world, you need to know that Jesus lives with power and love in the deepest part of who you are. And as the Spirit works that love in our hearts, it spills over and makes you a person who gives away love. Self-giving, unconditional, committed, sacrificial love to people who do deserve it or don't deserve it. To your friends, your family, your neighbors, people you don't like, and even your enemies. Be careful. The love of God will fill you up so much that you give love away even to people who have hurt you. See, we can't do that on our own because that is the love of Christ, to love people who do not deserve it. How do you get that love in your heart? You ask for it. You ask for it. This whole passage that we've just been looking at in Ephesians 3 
Paul starts off by saying, I pray. I pray. In other words, he's asking God to give the Ephesians an awareness of the deep, deep, unconditional, counterconditional, committed love of Jesus Christ. What would happen if you woke up every morning and just said, Jesus, today remind me of your deep, deep love for me. Work love in me that it might spill out through me. I would encourage you to ask for the love of Jesus to be renewed in your heart. As the worship team comes forward now, I ask you to stand with me. And we're just going to pray this together as our closing prayer. Would you, would you pray this now with me? I pray that we, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love for us, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. As the worship team leads us in this song, I want you to look at it differently than when we first sung it in the beginning of the service. Look for Christ's love for you because he really does love you. If you need prayer, we'll be in the back. We'd love to pray for you. But be confident that God loves you. Amen.